0: So we welcome you this morning, if you're visiting, Uh, you may recall if you were here last week, we, we talked about a simple truth from God's Word, and that is, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And we talked about exactly what that means to be born again. To be a person who is actually born into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we, we challenge ourselves too as professing Christians because Paul says in Corinthians that you ought to examine yourselves on a regular basis to determine whether or not you really are in the kingdom, whether you really are a part of the faith. And the reason he talks about that is because he understands it's very much human nature for us to be familiar with religious things or as Christians to be involved in, and, and familiar with church things. But maybe kind of having been, you know, changed a little bit by osmosis, being around Christian things, adopting a Christian lifestyle. But it's very easy to not have made that commitment to Jesus Christ, to have been born again, so that we don't only believe in God, we don't only believe what the Bible says, but we have actually had a personal relationship with Him whereby He has changed us. Our lives are changed. Our desires are changed. There's a clarity that comes to our lives as the people of God, and we're not just wishy-washy back and forth and up and down, and, and, and for many Christians, uh, well, maybe not many, but a good number, I'm sure, in the Western church uh, who are really uncertain of their faith, who really don't have that confidence, and because we don't have that confidence, we never minister anything of the life and power of Jesus to those who are around us. Well, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, you may know it well, Jesus said, the reason I came into this world is so that you may have life, that you may experience a fullness of life that God intends. But Jesus said that Satan's agenda is also to do whatever he can to make sure that you never know who you are as a child of God, that you never actually make him known. That's what the devil always tries to do, and he does that by trying to rob you of the confidence of being a son or daughter of God. And one of the ways he does that is by lies or by words that are spoken to you. And sometimes those can even be words that we speak to ourselves, whether they're true or not, but we accept them as true, and those words begin to mold us and shape us over the course of the years to believe things about ourselves that God never intended. That is not what God says. Things like, you don't matter. Things like, your life really doesn't count. You're not going to make any difference. Or things like you did such and such and you ought, to, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ought to kind of carry that shame for the rest of your life. Uh, Satan will also use the influences of our culture. He will use the influences of media to always try to make you be like someone else. That's really one of the treacherous things, I think, about social media. Not dumping on it, but that's one of the realities is we see through the posts and all the screens and the things you can do, just everybody's trying to be somebody else. Like, people don't realize the absolute uniqueness of who God has made you to be. And not only that you're different than other people, but God has made you different, even in our weaknesses. Why? So that God's presence, God's power, can be seen more clearly through us, through our frailty, through our brokenness at times, through those things that maybe other people would use to write us off, but the Lord doesn't. You see, Satan has no idea what it is that God has in mind for you. But what he does know is that if you begin to believe what God knows about you, then only God knows what he's going to do through you and what he can do through you. Satan's greatest weapon, I believe, is not the lies that he tells you, but his greatest weapon is getting you to repeat those lies to yourself. And for a lot of us, he doesn't have to lie to us very often. He doesn't have to bother with us very often because he has told us some things years ago that he just kind of sowed, we took it, and for years, we've been repeating that lie to ourselves, And we believe things about ourselves. We're seeing ourselves in a certain way or limited ourselves in a certain way because we've allowed that lie to become part of our identity. And we never really see what God sees in us. Now, you might say, well, if that's true, then how can I know the real me? How can I know what God knows about me? Blaise Pascal was a 17th century theologian He was also quite a prodigy in his day in many fields, but he wrote these words. He said, not only do we know God through Jesus Christ, but we also only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our life, the meaning of our death, the meaning of God, or the meaning of ourselves. It is only in Christ. It is only in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we can know any of these things. Uh, The Bible says, we know the scripture well, that if anyone is in Christ, what does he say? He becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. Now, we're all familiar with the term Christian. In fact, in the New Testament, we read that word two or three times. The word Christian pops up to describe those of us who have been born again. But another phrase that is used about 140 times in the New Testament is the phrase, in Christ. That's really what what the Lord uses to describe you and me who are born again. We are in Christ. And in many of those scripture references, it actually goes on to tell us what we are made to be if we are in Christ. Now, the Apostle Peter wrote a couple letters, and, and the first letter was addressed to believers throughout the Roman Empire who at that time were enduring a great deal of persecution. And he writes, knowing persecution himself, knowing suffering, Peter writes to remind them that they are in Christ and what that means. And he says this in his first letter in chapter 2. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests a holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Now, there are a number of things that are true of you and me because we are in Christ. And I just want to highlight what I believe Peter points out here in this passage. There's five things, don't worry, they're not long, but there's five things that are true of you and me if you are in Christ. And we need to understand who we are in Christ, not only for our own freedom and our own joy, but because, friends, there is a world that Jesus Christ wants to minister to around you and me that we will never touch if we don't understand who we are. And if we don't live in the confidence and the freedom and the anointing and the power of what we carry with us everywhere we go. So we need to understand who we are. And the first thing Peter touches on, he says, you are completely accepted. You've got to understand this. If you've been born again, if you are a child of God, if you are in Christ, you are accepted. You see, I will never grow. I will never really change. I mean, I'll try to kind of remedy certain things. I'll try to do better at certain things. But I will never experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ if I do not understand first and foremost that Jesus completely accepts me. And one of the reasons I don't step out, one of the reasons I don't believe great things for myself is because I don't believe he could use someone like me. I know what I've done. I know where I've failed. I know my hang-up. I know my frustrations. I know the things I seem to do over and over again. He just, he could not accept someone like me. And the Lord says, that is a lie. You see, all of us have hurts. We all have struggles in our lives. We all experience rejection. We all experience feelings of inadequacy. But the problem is, we're always trying to look for ways to make up for that, but we're always looking in the wrong places. Or we're always trying to, to, you know, measure some kind of or achieve some kind of success in order to feel like we are accepted. And that's the problem. What we need to do if we want to ever deal with this doubt of acceptance is we need to begin with Jesus. And we need to begin with what Jesus says about us, who he says we are, how he feels about us. Now, I know some of you here this morning are thinking, well, Pastor, I don't really deal with that. You know, I'm pretty confident. I have no hang-ups. Baloney. We all deal with the issue of acceptance. Just look around you. How many took some time this morning before you came to church to try to decide what you're going to wear? I mean, obviously some of you didn't, but how many did? Right? I'm not looking at anybody even general. This is just a general... You know, let the chips fall where they may, but obviously some of you took some time to look in the closet, what am I going to wear? I mean, I did the same thing last night, what am I going to wear, what do I fit into, what looks good, whatever, you know, I got the right color shoes, they're in style this year, they'll change next year, but you know, for now I'm enjoying that. But the reason we do that is not only because we want to look good, it's because we want to be in style, right? We want to be in style. What, we want to be accepted. That is the power of acceptance. This is just a simple level. There's so many ways that we do that that we don't even realize. We want to be accepted. Remember when your parents used to say, my mother said to me once, I believe when I was a child, you know, if your friends jumped off the bridge, would you? Right? I actually did. Yeah, that's the power of acceptance. We want to be accepted and we want to be chosen because it feels so incredibly good to be chosen. Whether you're chosen for a sports team or you're chosen for promotion you know, in your workplace or maybe most importantly, you're chosen by someone to be loved. We all want to be chosen. In fact, it feels so good. We can go a long way just on the feeling of knowing that we are accepted and we are chosen. The Bible says that you are completely accepted because God chose you. He chose you. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault, we who stand before him covered with his love. In other words, before God did anything else, Before anything in the temporal world that we live in was ever even a thought or created, the Bible says that God also thought of you. He chose you before He made that world. In fact, hear me friends, He made this world for you. Do you realize that? You were in his heart first. He created this world as a place for us to live and literally to train to grow in the knowledge of God and of his love for us and to train what it means to be actually to live and to rule with God. That's why we live in this world. And we need to understand that all things are ours through Christ. Whatever our need may be, whatever it is the Lord wants to do for us, what he has for us, no matter how we feel. What did Jesus say? He said, listen, don't you get it? If God takes care of the little birds, little sparrows who are here for a season and then they're gone and they have no soul, they don't live forever, they're here for a short span, and yet they have no fear. They recognize and they live in the provision of God's creation for them. If God feels that way about the little sparrows, what do you think he thinks about you? He has made all of this for you. Whatever your need may be, Jesus said, don't be filled with worry. Understand you have a Father who accepts you, a Father who has chosen you, a Father who has made all of this for you. And He will provide for you. Paul wrote in Titus, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and He gave us the hope of eternal life. Think of those words. He made us acceptable to God and he gave us this hope of eternal life in other words you are never going to earn God's acceptance there's nothing you can do to earn it he has already chosen to accept you through his son Jesus Christ all you can do is receive that acceptance as a gift Jesus has made you acceptable to God if you receive his sacrifice for you if you receive his gift for you He has already made you acceptable to God, so stop performing to be accepted. The Lord wants us to begin to live in the knowledge that we are accepted by the one who matters most. He accepts us. The second thing that's true of you if you are in Christ is you are valuable. I mean, we all want to be accepted, but more than that, we want to be valued. We want to be cherished. We want to be important to somebody. Peter says, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Isn't that amazing? You are God's possession. What does it mean to be holy? The devil kind of twists that word around and makes it some kind of burdensome, cumbersome thing that we just got to live under this, you know, oh, I got to be holy. You don't get it. What did he say back? We just read a moment ago here in Ephesians. He says, He has made us holy in His eyes without a single fault. He has made you holy. He has made you whole. He has made you clean. I love the scripture goes on to say, we stand before him covered with his love. That's what God has for you. You see, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you're here and you've never been born again, here's basically where you are. It's like being inside a mother's womb. We talked about last week. When a child is in a womb, the child is very much alive. The child has spiritual senses. You'll hear people say all the time today, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Now, they mean something different by that, but the reality is we are spiritual beings, and inside that womb, we can get a sense that there's, there must be a God somewhere. Or I, I kind of have a sense of things sometimes, where I know I'm not living right. I know there's more to life, whatever the case may be. Why is that? Because there's the world outside of the womb that God wants to birth you into, but you've not experienced that yet. You've not been born again. But when you give your life to Jesus, When you say, Lord, I realize that you are real God. I just realize I do not know you. I realize there's nothing I can do to make up for my sin. But I recognize that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin that I deserve in my place. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for living for myself. Forgive me for rejecting your love. I open my heart to you. Come in and save me. Come in and change me. Come and and recreate me. Give me everything you have for me. You see, we understand that even though we're in the womb, God is all around us. What's that old song we used to sing many, many years ago? He was there all the time. That's the reality. He is there. He is loving on us. The Holy Spirit is drawing us, wooing us, convicting us. He's saying, hey, hey, I know what you're going with you, but this little world, you think it's all it is? There's so much more. I'm right out here. and I'm just waiting to birth you into my world, make you part of my family. All you need to do is call out to me and say, save me. Save me. I want to be in your family. And the Lord says, when you do that, you become born again. You're born into the family of God. Spiritually you come awake, your senses come awake, and all of a sudden you begin to see and connect all those things you used to wonder about and think about. And is there a God? Can I know God? I'm sure there is. And now you know Him as your Heavenly Father. Your sin is washed away, the confusion is washed away, and you begin to walk in this brand new relationship with the Lord. That's what God does all around us. And even us, those of us who know the Lord, sometimes through our disobedience, our ignorance, our willfulness, we can find ourselves trapped again. We can mess around with sin. We can disobey. We can feel like we're in a dark place. And it's not a place that we want to be. Why? Because we know that the Father is all around us on that outside. He still loves us. He still values us. But we still need to confess our sin and say, Father, forgive me. I know I've disobeyed. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Free me. And we just break out of that darkness and we come back into a relationship with Him because He values us. You see, to be holy, among other things, it simply means you're not ordinary anymore. You're not average anymore. You're not expendable. You are holy in God's eyes. You are beautiful. He values you. Now, there's different ways that we value things. One of them is values are based upon who actually owns that thing. My name is Paul Patterson. Patterson, it's one of those names you always got to spell when you go somewhere. But I own a 2009 Acura TL. If you want to buy it from me, you can get it for about $4,000, maybe $5,000. It's in great shape. Okay, I own it. Now, if Paul McCartney owned that same car, you wouldn't touch it for four dollars or $5,000. You'd be talking forty dollars or $50,000. Why? Because the value of that thing is determined by who owns it. Now, keep this in mind. Who do you belong to? I belong to Jesus. Do you realize that? I am God's possession. I belong to him. Deuteronomy says, you are his treasured possession. There is never a day that God looks at you and says, what in the world was I thinking? We look in the mirror and think about that ourselves sometimes, but you need to understand God your father never looks at you that way. He values him more than anyone else does. And the second thing we all know that determines value is what somebody's willing to pay for it. We've seen that in the housing market today. And how much are you worth? Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. You were bought, not with something that ruins like gold or silver, something that tarnishes. You have been bought with what? The precious blood of Jesus. Hear me, saints. Your worth is not based on how you feel about yourself. I gotta remind myself of that sometimes. It is not based on how you feel. Why, because your feelings fluctuate every single day. Sometimes you feel great, right? Oh, God is good, I love the Lord, hallelujah, I'm his child, you know, God is so good to me, and as I said in the first service, you know, sometimes you might even say, hey, God's real lucky to have me, you know? It just kinda depends what mood you're in, right? But then there's other times that you just feel like, man, I'm just lower than a worm. I'm just no good. Like, what, you know, whatever. We oftentimes base our worth on how we feel or on how other people look at us or what it is other people say about us. But Jesus wants us to understand that our true worth is based solely on the fact that he gave his life for us. Hear me. Jesus literally died on the cross for this reason. He could not bear the thought Of spending eternity without you he literally hung on the cross and he said this is what you are worth to me and we need to understand our value to the Lord we need to understand how much he values and cherishes us so if anyone tells you that you don't matter if anyone tells you that you're a mistake If anyone tells you that you are unredeemable, you're not worth anything, friends, you need to, in the most loving way that you can, say to them, you do not have a sweet clue what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about because I am completely accepted and I am valuable to God. And thirdly, Peter goes on to say, you are dearly loved. Verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, you were nobody, but now... You are God's people. And that's profound. What is God saying? Listen, now, because of what Jesus has done for you, and because you have accepted him into your life, now you're my family. You're my son. You're my daughter. Your status has changed. Your clout has changed. You are a different person, and you're part of my family. You see, some of us come from dysfunctional families. You know, some of us probably have that relative that you really don't want to know anybody, you know, anybody to know that you're related to, right? You don't want to stand to them too close to the pictures. You know, they don't get in your Facebook profile, whatever. You know, whether they're weird, whatever the case may be. But listen, my friends, God is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed to call you His child. He wants you in His family. He actually chose you. Now, if you were to ask the average Christian how they know God loves them, I think it's safe to say that most would say, well, I know God loves me because the Bible says that he gave his son for me to die for me so I know him. And of course, that's absolutely true. But the problem for so many believers, I believe, is that so few understand what it actually is to live in his love. You see, it's one thing for me to know God loves me. It's another thing to actually live in that love, to abide in in that love, to rest in that love, to find freedom and forgiveness and cleansing, to recognize that I always have a shelter that I can run to, that if I do sin, if I do mess up, if he says, listen, if you will simply turn away from the enemy, submit to me first, come to me first, then in that power of reassurance of who you are and my love for you, you can stand against the enemy. You can say, yeah, I did such and such a thing. Yeah, I messed up, but God loves me. And he has forgiven me. In fact, it's the love of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. Isn't that powerful? Just think of who God is. He could have said it's the fear of God that leads you to repentance. It's this, it's this. No, no. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Because we know we are without him. We know we're trapped. We know we've done wrong. But what we know in our heart, if we know him, is that we have a good God. A good God. Just consider the sin that David, King David, committed, right? That he not only committed adultery, and now she's pregnant, and he he lined it up so her husband was killed. What is David's prayer? Oh, God, forgive me. I have a broken, contrite heart for what I've done. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't take your presence from me. You can have anything. I'll give you the kingdom back. I'll go back to tending sheep. I just don't want to lose your love. I know that you love me, and that's why I come to you. And the Father wants us to know how much more He even loves you and me. I believe the greatest weapon we have against the devil's attacks is not more theology, is not more faith statements. It's simply being fully convinced that God loves me. That's my greatest weapon. I love the words of Jesus when he prayed in John 17. He said, Father, you loved me before the world began. Now we read that and think, well, yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, that's Jesus, God the Father. Of course he did. But Jesus said this in the previous verse. Listen to this. He's speaking about you and me. He says, Father, you loved them as much as you love me. Now, we find it hard getting our mind around that. But these are the words from the lips of Jesus himself. Father, I thank you you love me. And you've always loved me. But I thank you that you love them, my brothers and sisters, just as much as you love me. And why could Jesus say that? Because he wants you to understand that you and Jesus have the same father. If you're born again and you're in the family of God, you have the same father. The Bible says that Jesus is our elder brother right? Jesus said, who's my brother and sister? Whoever does the will of my Father. Whoever walked with my Father loves my Father. My Father loves them. You are my brothers and sisters. We are on that same level. There's no difference in God's love for me than it is for you. And what that means very simply is that Jesus did not gain the Father's love by what he did for him. The Father did not love Jesus more because Jesus went to the cross. And there's nothing you and I can do to make our Father love us more. He is love. That's the only, only emotion he has toward us as his children. He loves us completely. Now, we can gain the Father's blessing by our obedience. We can gain the Father's pleasure by our obedience, but we will never gain more of his love. That's the foundation that we start on. That's what we build everything on. The Lord says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. Hear me. God did not start loving you when you accepted Jesus into your life. The reason you accepted Jesus in your life is because God has always loved you and he has always been pursuing you. He has always been drawing you and wooing you to himself out of his great love for you. That's why you are where you are. That's why you know him today. That's why you are his son and daughter. He has loved you forever. In fact, God the Father not only loves you as much as he loves Jesus, he has loved you for as long as he loved Jesus. You see, if you believe the words of Jesus, and we read Paul saying, you understand that before anything temporal was ever created, God who was all-knowing already knew he would create you, already knew you were born. And he was absolutely committed to you and loved you before anything temporal was made. All things were made for his pleasure. All things were made for you and me to grow in our knowledge of him as we live in this world. We're surrounded by that love. As I said in the first service, if you think of a mother, when a mother has, is carrying a child, does a mother start loving the child when it's born? Does a mother wait until the child's born and kind of look at it and go, I'll pass on this one, we'll try next time? No, from the time you know you're carrying a life in that womb, you love that child whom you haven't even seen. And if we can have that kind of love as human beings, how much more can the God who is all-knowing, who is love itself, how much more from the moment he knew you were going to be, which was forever past, he has loved you. You see, the difference between us and God, among many other things, is we are not eternal. People mix that up Sometimes. We are not eternal beings. We are immortal beings. That means we have a beginning time, but then from then we will never die. We will live forever either with God or separated from God. The choice is ours. We are immortal. God is eternal. He didn't say my love for you is immortal. He said my love for you is eternal. It is everlasting. It has had no beginning. I have always existed. I have always known about you. You have always been before me. And I have always loved you. That's why I sent my son to die for you. Because I don't want to think of eternity future without you. And so he made a way for us to be forgiven. Washed of our sin to become children of God. Paul says in Romans 5, We know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Friends, remember this. The key to knowing God intimately It's not trying harder. It's not more devotions, longer prayer times, and those are not bad things by any means when you enjoy being with the Lord. The key to knowing God intimately is being absolutely convinced of his love for you. That is where it really begins. And then everything you do All the time that you spend, the time in the Word, the time in prayer, all of that is an overflow of the revelation of his love for you. That's what John says. He says the only reason we love God is because God loved us first. He's the one that started it. He's the one that's drawing us, and we respond to that love. And he wants us to know that love. That's why he's given us his Holy Spirit. Jesus said you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, like I said to the early church, don't you dare go out there and start to witness. Don't you dare try to live this life on your own. You need an overflowing experience of the love of God through you by the Holy Spirit. A love that will wash away all doubt and all fear and give you confidence to live as a child of God. Well, I have to wrap up here. Let's get to number four quickly. You are also fully forgiven. Listen to what Peter says. At one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received mercy is mercy. The way we experience God's mercy, the way it manifests, is in our full, for, full forgiveness. We don't really understand full forgiveness. What I mean by that is, if somebody hurts us, wrongs us, offends us, whatever the case may be, we may forgive because we know we should or we know it feels better if we kind of get rid of that poison in our system and choose to forgive, but so often in our humus, what do we do? We still kind of hold on to it in the sense that, okay, I've forgiven you, but I'm not necessarily going to trust you again. Or I'm still going to kind of keep you at a distance. Or you know, whatever it may be. We kind of have a condition. Or maybe if something blows up by way of an argument down the road, we bring it up again. Right? So there hasn't been full forgiveness. So we think that God's the same way. But it's not true. That's not how God forgives. The Bible says he erases our sin so that there is no condemnation. Isn't that what Paul said? He said there is now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ. Not only is there no condemnation, there's no punishment waiting for us around the corner. And yet that's what the devil wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that God still gets back at us. And you say, no, Pastor, I know God forgives me. Do you really know that? Because how many of us ever think this way? Something goes wrong or something doesn't work out. And in the back of our mind, we start thinking, oh, this is probably because of what happened. This probably isn't working out because of what I did. I mean, I know I ask God to forgive me, and I know God forgives, but, you know, He's probably punishing me. Anybody think that way? Yeah, this is God punishing me. No. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment waiting for you around the corner. If you confess your sin, your sin is forgiven. The slate is wiped clean, and you can move forward in the confidence and the thankfulness That you're forgiven your sin is washed away now it doesn't mean there's no consequence to our bad choices I mean we can do something wrong God's forgiven us but it's kind of like King David God forgave him but he still you know had an affair with that woman and she became pregnant that was the consequence of his poor choices right so that can still happen but it doesn't mean there's any condemnation we don't have to fear what people call karma there's no such thing for those who are in Christ John said if we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted. You can count on him to forgive us and take away our sins. And so if you're in Christ, you are completely accepted, you're valuable, you're chosen, you're dearly loved, you're fully forgiven, and finally, you are totally capable. And friends, this is where we have to get the letter of our behind. I can't believe I just said that on TV. I can't believe I said lead. You are fully capable. Do you hear me this morning? You have not just been saved and forgiven and chosen and accepted. You're not only valuable, so we can just sit there and say, oh, God is so good. He has done all of that for us because of his love for us. But for you and me to understand, you are now capable. You are ministers of this message. You are ministers of the gospel. Freely, you have received. Now freely give it away. You've experienced this for yourself. Don't hold it in. There's so many people out there who are still living by the lies of the enemy, by the lies in their own minds. They need to hear the truth. They need to know that God loves them, and God's pursuing them, and God is all around them. God wants to break in their lives. He wants to forgive their sins. He wants to heal their bodies. He wants to heal their relationships. He wants to bring prosperity, and health, and hope, and strength. There is a divine option in the world today. It's in Jesus, and we are the ones who've experienced that. We are the only ones who can communicate that. Peter said in verse 9 you can show others the goodness of god for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light that is our role as those who are in christ to represent him to the world and i know a lot of times we don't feel capable because we look at people around us we think oh they're just so much more qualified but the truth is that they have the same doubts and insecurities that we do but we've got to stop replaying all the old tapes of past failures We've got to stop listening to the lies of the devil or whatever we tell ourselves and understand, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. Paul said, we carry the presence of God with us. Wherever we go, we carry his presence and power. Do you realize that? Wherever you go when you leave this place, in the marketplace, in the community, wherever you go, there are always divine options because you are there and you bring Jesus with you. All we got to do is begin to obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit rather than just blowing through the day with our head down, thinking we're unworthy, oh, thinking God could never use me or getting caught up in stuff, trying to find significance. If we would just stop and realize i am a child of god i am god's possession i am dearly loved of god the holy spirit lives in me and wherever i go i bring the kingdom of god and whenever the holy spirit prompts me all he's asked me to do is just step out in obedience say that word do that thing show there's options i will be there i will show up because i want you to understand that you are capable Every single one of you are capable, not because of your own gifts, but because of who is in you, because of the truth that you carry. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to set people free. Wherever I go, I'm not ashamed of him. I know whom I believe in and persuade it, right, that he is real, that he can keep me, he can minister through me. Worship team, would you join me? Saints, we just have to start listening to the one voice that matters most. We have to start listening to the Holy Spirit who fills us with God's love and acceptance. And why is that so important? Obviously, the very thing that Jesus has done in you and me, he wants to do in those around us. And that really is what the cross of Jesus Christ, it's all about. It's the Lord saying, this is how much I love you. And I want you to receive my love. I want you to live in my love. I want you to be changed, not by the power of your own determination. I want you to be changed by the power of my love for you. You realize how much you were loved, how dearly you were loved, how much you were valued. Friends, when that really sinks in, you begin to grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, what in the world am I doing? Why am I settling for so little? Why am I staying stuck here? I'm not made for this. My life doesn't have to be this way. The relationship doesn't have to be this way. I can change by the power of God at work within me and through that relationship with him. I'm going to ask the worship team just to close us off with this song that we started the service with. And the chorus is so beautiful. It says, I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. I am who you say that I am. You are for me. You're not against me. I am who you say that I am. Why do we have to declare that? Because the devil comes to every single one of us every single day and says, you are forsaken. You are rejected. You are not who God says you are. And we have a choice to make. We're either going to believe that, and we're going to live an average life forever, or we're going to realize, Jesus has made me holy. Oh, I don't deserve it, but he has made me who I am. And I want to return thanks by living in who I am, living in his love, being changed by his love, and most importantly, giving the devil a black eye by sharing his love with others and having trophies of grace in my life of people whose lives are changed because they've encountered the Jesus that I know. That's what it means to be in Christ. Would you bow your hearts with me? Would you just listen to these words as it comes to the refrain? Let that just wash over you. And I encourage you not to leave this place this morning. If you don't know Jesus, saying, Jesus, I need you. I call out to you. Save me from my sin. I don't want to be separated from you forever. I want to live with you in this life and forever in the life of come. Forgive me for my sin. Wash me. I receive your gift of salvation. Save me. And instantly the Lord says, you will be born again. You will be born in the family of God. But Christians, hear me. Wherever you are this morning, if you feel stuck, some memory, some regret, whatever it may be, some sense of not being qualified, whatever the lie the devil has fed to you, it might be 30 years ago, but you've repeated it so often as part of your identity. I want to encourage you this morning, let the Holy Spirit show you what that is and repent of it. It doesn't mean you beat on yourself. It means you say, Father, forgive me for believing and living in that lie. I confess it. I repent of it. That's not who I am. I accept who you say that I am. And you tell the devil, I'm finished with you in that area. I renounce you. I break off everything your lie has done in my life. And then open your heart to allow the Holy Spirit just to fill you and wash over you with his love. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton, or check out our website, GTMonkton.com. Have a great week, and God bless.